know, and just from the moment I met this person, I have been, she's my hero. <laughs> I'm getting teary just thinking about it. Her name is Tara Wren. Hi, Tara. <laughs> Hi, Emily. And Tara, I'm going to let her tell her story, but first thing I want to say is morrowmovement.com. I can't stress enough to go to that website, and we're going to talk about Tara having waited many years for a bone marrow transplant, and uh, there's a lot to the story. So, Tara, give us a, an overview and the way that you like to tell uh, listeners about the challenges that you've had and how that is, uh, how you have turned that into an opportunity to educate people about bone marrow uh, donations and, and what a mission you've turned your challenges into. Okay, well... I guess my story starts in uh, Seoul, South Korea, and I was born there uh, in 1979 and was given up for adoption. I was actually abandoned, uh, so I spent my first 10 months of my life in a Korean orphanage, and lo and behold, there are two people here in Detroit, Michigan, who could not have children, and I was adopted by them. So I came here to America um, in 1980. And grew up here, um, love the city, love uh, my life here. I never thought of my family as, you know, my adoptive parents. I just, actually, I kind of thought of myself almost like Polish and German Belgium. <laughs> yeah, your parents, I had <laughs> the opportunity to meet your parents and their names. <laughs> yep, their names are um, Gary and Chris. Okay. So, uh, so anyways, uh, you know, fast forward 30-some um, years. Um, actually, let's go back real fast because I did have um, my son, my son Jay, who is now a United States Marine. Um, so he is the love of my life and the inspiration and one of the biggest um, reasons why I wanted to live so bad. Uh, but back, um, it was a year after I graduated from Oakland University, I was working as a financial advisor and I had found out that I have cancer. And the cancer that I have is a uh, bone marrow cancer, and the only cure for my cancer is a bone marrow transplant. So um, at that time, I had no idea what it was, uh, and here I just graduated from college, and I realized, wow, I don't even know what um, being a donor means. I know what blood donation means, but bone marrow donation, I had no idea. And so finding out that my life depended on finding a match uh, I was open up to this whole new world of, of bone marrow um, registry and donation. And, and what are the circumstances in which a cancer patient would need bone marrow transplant as opposed to chemotherapy or the typical uh, radiation that, the treatment that a cancer patient goes through? Well, from what I understand, a lot of the different blood cancers, um, it all just depends. Some leukemias, some lymphomas. Uh, I had a form of a leukemia, it was actually, it's like a pre-leukemia, it's called myelodysplastic syndrome. So my particular blood cancer uh, is not curable or treated by chemo. It was, it was purely just a transplant that I needed to be able to save my life. And then next step, you started learning about what bone marrow transplant was, uh, yeah. the, the amount of fear, what you were feeling. How, was, how old was Jay at the time? Jay was, oh wow, Jay was just in first, second grade. I, I can't even exactly. Yeah, young, yeah wow. he was okay. really young. He was young. I was, I was young. I was just a year out of college. And um, so I had to find a match. And I discovered, I learned that your best match is somebody of your ethnicity. Well, being that I was adopted, all of my family here are Caucasian. And so I had no known blood relatives. No, I don't know who my mom is. I don't know anybody 
um, in regards to my, my bloodline. So I had to turn to Be the Match. And Be the Match is the uh, National Marrow Donor, Donor Program that houses all of the registered donors. And so they're all in this registry. Um, I was, you know, sent to Uni University of Michigan. Uh, they did, they pulled out some of my uh, sample of my bone marrow to be able to type it. So I had my HLA type, which is your bone marrow type, and they searched the registry and couldn't find anybody. And so that was pretty <laughs> devastating, mm. I guess to say the least. So it was, a, it was 10 years. Um, they gave me actually three years possibly, an estimated three years that I would be able to survive without a transplant. And um, since I couldn't find a match, I, I, you know, I turned to my faith because in a situation where you're so desperate to find a match or an answer or a cure and you can't find that person or that donor, um, I, I really just began to understand that life is really about living today and not living for a year down the road because at that point I didn't know if I would see tomorrow. So um, I learned a lot. I held a lot of bone marrow drives in Metro Detroit. I went to every single campus. I went to every single Korean church. And I was able to save other people's lives through the process of trying to save mine. And the, the way I was able to do that was you know, share my story, my plea, please, you know, get on the registry. It's so easy. You know, it's a simple, it's a simple swab of your cheek to be able to get on this registry and you might be a match for me, but if you're not a match for me, you might be a match for somebody else. And through those 10 years, I had so many people that went to my bone marrow drives and they would call me or email me and say, uh, you know, I wanted to be so badly, so badly I wanted to be your match, but I got a phone call and somebody else's match. I'm getting chills right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so even though I wasn't able to um, find my match in those, that decade of searching, I know that there were other people that were struggling um, in trying to find their, their match, and they found that match. So that's pretty awesome. We're talking with Tara <laughs> Wren, someone I met a year ago, and we're talking about her 10-year wait for bone marrow match. Uh, which was difficult because she's from Korea and she's she's adopted had no history of her family history and and when I when I met you uh, a year ago I remember it was on a, a, a very social evening a block party down at Chinola and stuff and you and, and your friend R J King came yeah. and you had your say nice things about Detroit shirts on and we were going to go out to dinner stuff but I couldn't for the moment I met you and I saw the life in you and the the spirit and I just thought to myself my God this person just is so full of I, I, joy, yeah. I guess, was the word, and I couldn't stop asking you questions. You know, I, know. And I was like, <laughs> "So, what, you know, like, you know." I think some of the questions I asked were like, "What were you feeling every day? Was it on your mind every day? Was it, you know, were you frightened? Did you go through ups and? I mean, what were the ups and downs? Were there real high peaks of optimism and then discouragement? And you know, there was back to that, and also raising a young son mm -hmm. at the same time. I mean, there was. I mean, it, it was definitely a roller coaster. I mean, there's a first almost denial, like there's no way, there's no way, I, I'm fine, you know, I mean, I'm young and healthy, but I wasn't, and, and then how were was, you feeling, physically? I was feeling tired, and it's, it's funny you ask that, because doctors would say, aren't you, you know, are you tired? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired, I'm a, I'm a young person, I'm a young mother, I just started my career, I'm a financial advisor, yes, I'm tired, you know, but 
it was really because of the cancer. But it's, a, it's also amazing at the body's ability to, um, to kind of adapt to something like a cancer. I mean, I had no red cells, no white cells, no platelets, but yet I was still pushing myself. And so that was my first experience of understanding that the power of the mind and, and you know, just keep um, becoming, uh, just being focused on like the task ahead or at hand. And then that came into play and how great of a lesson I had when I actually went into transplant to be able to say, you know, mind never matter. Like, my body is failing on me, but yet I believe that I can do this. So, I mean, that's, I think that's a huge t testament to how powerful your mind is. And all during that time while you were waiting, were there any kind of treatments that you were going through, or was everything predicated upon getting this bone marrow transplant? In the beginning, I was on a couple clinical trials, but they made me feel even more sick than I did, you know, being first diagnosed. So I weaned myself off of those things. And so I would write when I would go into the, um, to the doctors, they would ask what your medications are. And I would just write prayer, <laughs> prayer. <laughs> That's it. And the nurses actually, some of the people in <laughs> the medical staff were like, okay, seriously. I'm like, no, it's, it's all about faith and prayer now. That's, that's kind of it. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not surprised about that. I worked a lot with the American Cancer Society and people that had three-year diagnosis, and, and so often it was those that had a real spiritual strength mm -hmm. and uh, some kind of foundation, whatever that spiritual strength came from, and however they prayed or however they they realized it wasn't in their control. Right. And and so during that time, so Jay was young, was there a certain point where where Jay didn't really know what you were, that you were ill, or at what point did he kind of uh, know that, wow, this is a, you know, this, we're on a time clock here. Yeah, there was as, never, a, as like well a, as a young a young boy can understand that. Right. I mean, Jay and I have always been very very close, and I've been very open with him. And so I did tell him that I was sick, that I had, you know, I had what I had. However, I. All of the energy I did have went towards um, being happy and strong with him. You know, I mean, regardless, I've realized that, you know, regardless of what the outcome or what the projective outcome of my life was supposed to be, being a mother always came first. So making sure that he knew that, you know, I love him, you know, and I'm here. That's, I mean, I could be totally cured and, you know, pass away tomorrow. So it came just, you know, it wasn't any big deal. I was still mom always in this process. And how about your parents? Uh, what was their um, response to all this? Because here's their 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 child going through cancer and, yeah. and, and being on a time clock of getting needing a, a bone marrow donor. That was the odds were very slim to find that that match. Yeah, my parents, um, you know, I know that they struggle with it. I'm sure they struggle with it more than they ever would have um, would admit to me. But, uh, you know, I think also, I mean, I look back and I have so many people, my parents included, you know, and close friends of mine that say, I don't know how you did that. Like, I don't know how you did that, you know, for 10 years. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did that either. But when push comes to shove and somebody gave a saying to me when I was in the hospital, you never know how strong you are until strong is the only choice you have. And it's so mm -hmm. true. When you're thrown into the fire, what are you going to do? I mean, I can't just like roll over and just give up. You just keep going. You just, it's like this incredible, I don't, I don't, it's like, a, it's kind of like a miracle. It's like autopilot, God autopilot kind of thing. So you had your our Tara Ram we're talking with who waited 10 years to get the proper bone marrow uh, donor for her to have the transplant and she's from Korea. 
so the odds were very high. And all during that time, you know, as you were keeping the faith and out there educating people, having your your own bone marrow uh, drives and everything and saving other lives through those people that matches were found. At, at what point did you start realizing that you were really getting the message out? And then you started your website, uh, marrowmovement.com. And the night I met you, I went home that night and I read it. And I was just weeping as I was reading all your... your uh, My posts. Your posts, yeah. yeah. And I just thought, wow, you know, what therapy that must have been. But also, it was just so educational and, and so touching and heartwarming. So at what point did you realize, you know, I don't, the, the, the drives are one thing, but I can, there's so many different ways that I can educate and also use it as your own therapy, I would imagine, spiritual therapy, yeah. to be able to share your story in a way that, that wasn't depressing the way you presented it. I mean, it was, you, that's the thing that I have been so drawn to since I met you, is that, and I knew by reading the post, you know, that you were going through it at that time, but you were still presenting what it is you were feeling and yeah. wanted people to know. I mean, the, the blog actually, the, the blog started as a way to um, relieve my parents of having to tell everybody updates. So that's how okay. I started it. Okay. And so it's funny how things start at, you know, they kind of transform themselves into what it's supposed to be. And so... Very organic way. Totally yeah. organic. And I'm, I mean, my first couple posts, I'm like, hey, <laughs> here's this, you know, you can come to this site. It was nothing. I didn't even think anything of it. I had no idea what it was like to, you know, make even a website or anything. And then once I got into it, um, it really, truly, my purpose was to tell people how I was doing. And then it became, I'm a, I love writing. And I love the arts, you know, and so... And did you always love writing? I did. You knew that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. And uh -huh. so when you're in the hospital, there's not a... Once you really start getting sick, once you get the chemo, and once your your hair is falling out... And you're oh, so, so you were going through all that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. I yeah. said, I wondered if there... Okay. Yeah, I, um, I only have five days of chemotherapy to destroy my entire immune system. Okay. So, um, through that journey, and as you read it, you can see what I was going through, but I was blogging or posting every day I told myself one one thing I'll do every single day is you know I was trying to do my laps around the floor at Carmanos but also okay I remember reading all of yeah, that now okay uh, yeah. that was like my that was my job every day is to get up and move and then also my job to myself was to post something every day even if I felt and some days it was it was a struggle even to open my eyes but it was therapeutic for me. Like you said, I mean, I found myself being able to say what I felt and what I was going through and not have to have somebody on the other side feel like they're, they had to um, make it better. I was just putting it out there. And then at one point, I started getting feedback from people. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm crying as I'm reading this, but, um, you know, my sister is looking for a match and you're giving us hope that you you know you waited 10 years she's only been waiting for a year I mean I have so many stories and so many people that came to my website that would send messages to me of this inspirational hope and here I'm providing this inspiration hope to these people but yet I'm reading this saying well maybe I have a purpose like this pur this is not just to tell people what's going on there's a whole higher level of purpose for this this movement and you know, could feel that happening with you spiritually and emotionally and and you know you mentioned the Carmanos um, Cancer Institute let's take a few minutes and talk about the Carmanos Cancer Institute of course he was a uh, compu compuware 
the Carmanos? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had met R, R.J. King is a, like just an incredible, um, you know, Detroit supporter and such a, an incredible person. And of course, general, the publisher of uh, the wonderful uh, Our Magazine, D, D Business, business yeah. the whole uh, media. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed at what they have done yeah. and how they've been involved in the community. Okay, yeah, so but that RJ is like he was one of the biggest cheerleaders I had, and he's like he, he knows the passion I have for Detroit, and so it's shared. And he's like, oh, now that you're a Carmanos, you have to meet Nick Carmanos. So Nick came down for my birthday. I celebrated my my actual right. birthday in the hospital, and so um, I was able to meet Nick. And he's he's been great and wonderful and so supportive. And Tell our listeners a little bit of the background of the, how the Carmanos Institute started and about his his him a little bit. Yeah, I mean Nick, I just know him personally okay. just as like Nick, okay. you know. And so he came down, you know, and he I had my whole room at Carmanos like decorated with Detroit Tiger stuff, and so we took pictures. And he's he's always been like you know asking how I've been doing and. Um, and I've been to a couple of the um, Carmanos partners night through RJ and through um, Nick Carmanos and got to meet Peter and Danielle. And I mean, the whole family has been amazing, amazing. And, and they're such humble people, too. I mean, what they're doing for people that have cancer like me, are it's incredible. It's, it's interesting that you say that because my, my very best friend, um, her husband was in there, and all she could say was just what a wonderful person he was. Yeah. And I, I'm just amazed that he, would, you know, took so much time to, to. He was drawn to certain patients, I think, is what what happened. So, yeah. And so, you know, it, the, pretty soon with your uh, MyroMovement.com, we're talking with Tara Wren. And Tara is somebody I met a year ago, and he started learning her story. That waiting 10 years, uh, born in Korea, uh, abandoned, and was adopted by some people here in the Detroit area. Chris and Gary. and Gary, and who I was loved meeting, and when you had the send off party for yeah. Jay as he was going into the oh, Marines. and my sister, my sister is also Korean yeah. from a different family. You did, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't yeah, think my I sister Dawn. Okay. Yep, she's um she's Korean as well, but she's not blood related to me. She was um, in a foster family. Oh wow! Bless the your hearts yeah. of your of Gary and Chris. <laughs> Chris wow, yeah. my goodness. Well, pretty soon, and I say pretty soon, until it evolved, but the, it was like the whole city of Detroit was rallying behind you, you know, and, and it wasn't just good copy for media. It was just a good story, and it was one that they wanted to share because I think they were seeing the value of you educating people. Yeah. And and let's talk about some of the things that, that went on in that regard as far as the media. I mean, even just recently, oh, yeah. WDIV, you had your two-year anniversary, and what a beautiful thing they did, and and uh, so July 20th was the day that you got your bone marrow transplant. Yeah. And so you, you, you know, they, they really celebrated and did they a did. nice story. But all through that, there were all kinds of things that happened. Like you had the, the hockey fight cancer night. Mm -hmm. And you were sort of, I, won't, I don't want to say the poster child for that, but I'm sure that your, your spirit and just the way you present yourself and, and talk about that night and, and some yeah. of the TV stations and over the 10 years, all the different things that that happened that that we're getting the word out and and you know were you thinking like when you had those bone marrow uh did you know how you know how great the odds were yeah. but you were the, how was the the match uh be the match were they communicating with you all the time and and kind of yeah were there ever uh, some 
uh, what do I want to say, false alarms in terms of we may have somebody? Yeah, there was, there was definitely, and it wasn't like anybody's fault. It was just, you know, there are so many reasons why people are drawn to become a registered donor, you know, and many times it's because of people like me where I have a drive, somebody will have a drive because they need to find a match, and somebody close to them will register, and they're, in their head they want to save that person. And then, you know, maybe a year or so or two or three down the road, years down the road, when they actually are matched, they are a match for somebody, maybe they're in a different spot in their lives. And I can't fault or, you know, judge anybody on um, their decision to say no um, once, you know, somebody's contacted. Yeah. But I had, I had a handful of people um, who could have been potential matches, and when they were contacted, they said no for some reason. So the potential, and then they have to go another test or something to really see if it was a match. Now, when they you first go for the donor, it's just a swab in the cheek, isn't right. it? Right. There's okay. just like um, swab in, in four different areas of your cheek. But then, um, yeah, they um, they said no, and so I was told that, you know, they there's somebody <laughs> in the there's world. People from in the, somewhere in the world. And what is the procedure for someone when they come to that place where they, they do elect to be the donor? Mm -hmm. What's so, the um, you know, basically it's just um, a couple of visits, like an um, out-of-patient visits where they are given – a couple, I think, shots or something to get their marrow producing a little bit more uh -huh. when they when it comes time to actually donate. But now, before, and this is like the biggest thing, um, a lot of people think it's so painful. Because, well, that's what I had always heard yeah. too. That was going to be my next question, and I think dispelling that notion is 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 important. Yeah. Now it's as simple as almost like a blood draw. Um, they basically take it out and they separate the stem cells, and you're in and out of there, and that's it. And, and so when they actually do the transplant, how, how like what kind of quantity or vial it, it or two looks, is it a one time deal or is it a couple one, days or yeah it's a one time they, deal and um so my donor donated and then his cells stem cells were flown directly from to Detroit to Carmanos like like direct flight and arrived at Carmanos at that point I was already at Carmanos I was already prepped and they took this, the stem cells, and they looked like almost like a bag of blood, that you, a pint of blood. And they infused it right into my heart. What were you feeling? How, how long before you went in to have the transplant did you know that they had found a donor? I who, found, was, who was had accepted the, the, being a donor? Yeah, they, um, it was just a, a couple months that I knew. I, I knew that the, I was contacted and said that there might be somebody that is a match, and they said yes, they'll take the next steps. So they did a little bit more testing, and they contacted me and said, Carmelo said, well, we have a match. Are you ready? Obviously, I was ready. You know, I had waited 10 years. And so once that commitment was made, um, I had a couple months until I actually went in, in July, a few months. So, uh, yeah, I kind of did everything I and, wanted to do. So Tara, Tara Wren, <laughs> who waited 10 years to have the proper bone marrow match for her form of leukemia that she had, and did you, I mean, they gave you a prognosis of three years, so, because it was really on the, you know, the clock was ticking, yeah. and, it, you know, without knowing anything, but, you know, once you get to that three-year period, uh, you, you, did what, how were how high were the highs when you had hope when you'd hear about someone that might be a match and how low were the lows? I mean the and highs just, were. I mean that was like I used to say like all I want for my birthday is you know a bone marrow match. Yeah. And then when I finally found one, well I, I thought that I was going to have one, um, and I found out that that wasn't going to happen. I mean that's devastating. I mean I I don't know how much more disappointed 
it's like, oh, my life could be saved somewhere. And I, I kind of wanted to be like, yeah. hey, like, it's so easy. Please just help me. Like, I mean, I'm a mom, you know. I mean, they don't know the story. They're just doing their lives, you know. And so, uh, yeah. Let's talk about that person because you did find out who your donor was. Yes. And I, I have, you, you, your story has really moved me, you know, to be a, an organ donor and, and I love the story. I think I told you about a TED Talk the other day called Gray's Donation was a family that had twin, uh, twins and the, one of them died within six days. They donated all the organs. And a few years later, the mom and dad really wanted to find out where all those organs went. And they, they were hesitant, but when they started realizing the impact of where the child's organs went and yeah. everything. So you wanted to know who your donor was and, mm -hmm. and let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, because it, was, it wasn't, you just recently, didn't you, in the last couple yeah. of years or something that last year found out who your donor was that's correct. and had you asked or had you uh not then what what led you to finding out who that was well i knew that i couldn't find out who he was or get like he couldn't say yes i'll i'll let my um you know my information be um available to her for a year post transplant so i had to wait at least a year from july 20th 2013 <sighs> So I found, of course, obviously that year came up and I was like, ready. I'm like, okay, what do I sign? You know, because you have um, two consent forms. So he got one, I got one. Well, I signed mine right away. And I was waiting, you know, and I, Stacy over at Carmanos, who is my transplant coordinator, she's amazing and wonderful and I love her to death. And she's like, we're just waiting to hear back from uh -huh. Sam. Or, well, his name, was, his name is Sam, but I didn't know at the time. And I'm like, what's taking so long? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she doesn't want to meet me. And I can accept is that. Is there a time period where it's really risky? Because uh, I've been reading about that a little bit, you know, that we're, it can be rejected, right? In yeah. In terms of your body can reject it? I mean, yeah. It? I mean, there's like the the chances of rejection are pretty slim because, um, you know, that's why it's so important to find a good match. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that year, that first year is pretty hard, you know. It's it's a lot of recovering and a lot so of So do you just, suppose that it, what it, it, you you know about Sam now and well, he's your donor, so. Okay. I know that um, he signed it finally. Okay. And I opened up the, I got an email, and basically it was a scan of the form, the consent form, and there's just his name his email address and um, where he's from, and his name is Sam, and he lives in Hawaii. <laughs> he might be your neighbor. <laughs> That's right. I was asking you, you know, let's get in touch with him and send him a Detroit package or yeah. something. Yeah. And um, I just, I and so I emailed him, and um, I found out that he's a father, and um, he's got two kids and a wife, and um, he got on the registry somewhat recently-ish. Um, he's my age, and he only got on the registry because of his wife. So his wife um, saw a story similar to mine in Hawaii, and it was a mother, I think, I believe, that was looking for a match for her kids, and so she sent away for a kit um, to be the match.org and um, got two kids. So she swapped, and then he, she was like, here, Sam, you swab, and he writes to me in the email that I got, being the obedient husband that I I am, <laughs> I listened to my wife and I said okay. And he swabbed and he got a phone call um, saying that he could be a match for somebody, a patient, somewhere out there. And if he's still willing, and he said yes. So uh, he kind of he googled your name and stuff. Was that before the he the transplant that he started really finding out your story? Well, he didn't know who I was. Oh, because they, they keep it transparent or uh, confidential, right? So it was afterwards when he really realized the the, the, the story, the yeah. extent of the story, and how long you had waited and everything. Yeah, he had he emailed me and said, "Well, you know, 
with Google and everything, the first time I got your name, the first thing I did was Google your name, and I saw so many hits on, you know, transplant stories, and I watched something, he goes, and I watched, like, a news story, and you and your son, and he's like, I was just so moved. I was so moved, and um, the biggest thing that he, that really got me when I was reading the email from him was that he said, my only regret is that I didn't join the registry sooner. Yeah. And I love your line that you use where you say, how do, you, how do I thank someone for saving my life and that you, you're determined to help others still waiting for their Sam? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Sarah, actually, Sarah from WDIV, it was like, you know, everyone's got to wait for their Sam. Like, just don't give up hope. You know, you could find your Sam. And, but it's so true because it took me for – and I'm a good writer, I think. <laughs> you know, I love to write. I, obviously, I have that blog. But it took me like two and a half weeks to write that email because I didn't know how to – start like how do you start an email like that so a couple of things i want to kind of uh, really emphasize uh, be the match.com is yes. somewhere that people can go and they can learn uh, much more about this and also how to where there are bone marrow drives and, mm -hmm. and things like that and um marrowmovement.com is yours maybe we'll have you read one of your yeah your your posts yeah <laughs> before we uh, end, end the show or anything but yeah uh, and you know you of course you participate in the michigan marrow walk and fun run which was recent and had mm -hmm. teams in that and everything but i think that's what's so uh i don't even know if the word is fun but encouraging was that the way that the media did pick up on it yeah and and really celebrated your fight to you know to hang on and and when I think about it now, when I met Jay when you had the party for him when he was going into the Marines, you really had only had it only been a year or so since you had had the transplant yeah. so he went from a, a young boy to you know a, a, a high school student that had yeah. a nice swimming career and you know doing you know all his his buddies and living mm -hmm. his life, but here was his mom. Never, you know, you did. You, both of you didn't know. Was that something that you talked about with one oh, another? Yeah. 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 Jay and I are so. I mean, we talked all the time, and he spent, you know, nights with me at Carmanos and stuff. And I, I have to tell you, like, uh, Jay is probably well. Jay is the strongest person I know, and the most incredible human being that I've ever encountered in life. He's, he's so strong, but yet he's so himself, and he's so. The best thing about Jay during transplant was not so much like how he, you know, helped me like, you know, getting things or helping me, you know, with cooking or whatever, but the fact that he just treated me like mom, you know, like he didn't care that I was, I mean, of course he cared that I was sick, but, you know, drawing funny pictures on the dry erase board at Carmanos uh -huh. and, you know, making fun of me and when my hair started growing back saying, you know, like making fun of that, you know. And, and you, was that him digging down and, and realizing the role that he could play? Yeah. I mean, did he have moments where, you know, do you think in private really let down or moments when you were together where you both were just, you know, this is, this is hard. You uh, know, I... It's funny you say that because um, before he left, uh, before he went to the Marine Corps, I think I'm going to start crying. Well, it's good. <laughs> Crying's good, right? <laughs> Crying is good. I, I, got, I do a lot of it lately. But, you know, I asked him if he was scared, and he said, yeah, I was scared, you know. Um, just because I want to know, because he doesn't say much. Jay's a quiet guy. Yeah, you know? I could tell that. He's yeah. quiet, and he's very thoughtful, and he's a deep thinker, but he's he's like, yeah, I was scared. And... Um, I'm like, did you think that maybe I would die? And he's like, I didn't know, you know? And so I always thought, I always took it for granted because he's so strong on the outside that he wasn't even scared. I don't know why I would think that, but I just, 
because he's always been such a, um, a sturdy, strong figure in my life, but he was. And I thanked him. I wrote him a long letter right before he left for the Marine Corps, and I said, you know, that he, he really is... I'm so thankful that I had him through that, and I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have him by my side. Well, it's so obvious, because when he went into the Marines and he was going through his uh, boot camp and everything, you know, the how much he meant to you, you know, that this has been your rock, the, the, the foundation of which you leaned on in a lot of ways, but he probably leaned on you in a lot of ways while he was going through boot camp, so, or boot camp, so it kind of reversed itself, didn't it, in it some did. ways? And, and not just reversed, but it just showed the mutual support that you've been for one another in a unique situation. I mean, not everybody has to help their mom through 10 years from the time they're a little kid to waiting for a bone marrow transplant. Would you read your um, arrow movement uh, blogs to them? And were there those things that would you sit at night and just talk about? I mean, uh, what, what, do you recall you know, the kind of things you would talk about? Or? Jay and I? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we didn't read those things. I mean, I know that he's read them. Um, uh -huh. and it, but, again, I mean, Jay and I just, we talk about, random stuff you know we'll talk about the red wings <laughs> so, oh because you you're know? big hockey fans that was the big thing is going Jay down is the, the biggest red wings fan yeah. of the world okay. oh my goodness but like we talk about lots of different things and so we'll, you just the two of you just continued living life mm -hmm. and and being joyful or, yeah. or you know seeing the the joy in life mm -hmm. and could you see how much you're, you were feeling that about life like just live every day yes Absolutely, every single day is. So, I mean, just because I would, you know, I was living in the hospital and he was home, and like just like that, wanting to be next to him. Not even we don't even have to talk, just having him there. Sure. And so once we were able to do that, you know, right before we went into the Marine Corps, I mean, that was just every day. You know, I'm trying. I was trying not to count the days down because I knew he was going to be leaving September fifteenth, but enjoying the day that I had with him every single day just enjoying it like being healthy and yeah. and not waiting for a, a bone marrow transplant right we're talking with tara wren i just met tara about a year ago and learned her story of that she had been uh adopted from korea abandoned in korea and then adopted by her parents gary and chris and and uh was diagnosed with a form of leukemia in which she would need a bone marrow transplant to, to live and it was given a prognosis of three years, and then ended up waiting 10 years. And during that time, having bone marrow drives, and I mean, just recapping what we talked about earlier, and realizing, and, and from those bone marrow drives, certainly hoping that she would find a match for herself, but in the, in the meantime, other matches were found for people, and realizing the power of what she was doing, or the value of what, what you were doing. And you, you just continue to do it. I mean, you're out there just being a spokesperson for people becoming bone marrow donors and it's it's pretty powerful i always said if i was um if i found my cure and i did and if i found my match and had my transplant and was able to live to tell about it i would i would tell about it i would share my story and um to save lives to and just provide like hope and inspiration it, you know sometimes it's not even about life or death it's just about like living and connecting with people because hope and inspiration whether you're cured or you're not cured or you're just diagnosed or you don't even have cancer at all you know I mean the the hope and the inspiration that we can share with each other and the, con the connections that we um we can make along the way you know this whole thing is a journey it's not about 
getting to the cure. It's about just living for today yeah. and being able to just be present. Whether we're waiting for a bone marrow transplant or not. Right, it's exactly. In general. And, and the thing is, is what I love is that you have really seen it's had a it not only did have a greater purpose, it continues to have a greater purpose. And you're you, you're so grateful for that, and I love it. And while you were while you were waiting, but you were in some high powered jobs that were really, you know, taxing your mm -hmm. energy level yeah. and you're earning a living, and you know the things that people have to do while yeah. they're while they're waiting. And t talk about that in terms of uh, going to work every day. And yeah, work was. I mean, I was in sales, and I love I love a challenge. I love you know the the fast paced life of that. And um, you know, that was wearing. I mean, especially right before transplant, um, when I, right before I found my match, I was so, I mean, I was bruises everywhere because my platelets were so low and my fatigue was just incredible. I mean, I would just hit walls after wall throughout the day and, and you know, I was just pushing myself to the max. I was, I was running And you're, you're tiny and you can't weigh but what? How many? How <laughs> like 100 pounds? <laughs> yeah, you know, and yet you're the picture of health. I mean, you look at, you just radiate, you know, vitality and things like that and 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 did you feel like you had all of that beforehand? Before I mean, or did, as it as it all of that exponentially turned you into, you into the person that you are today in ways that you would have never dreamed? Well, I think that I mean, my dad always told me slow down. I mean, my I've had lots of energy ever since I was little, and um, you know, I was always like just moving, moving, moving. But and I think that was the hardest thing too during transplant and when I got towards like like when I was getting really sick is that I couldn't keep up with my mind like my mind and all of the things I wanted to do my body was just like lagging behind and I was dragging it as much as I possibly could until finally I couldn't drag it anymore but thank the Lord that I found my match and so everything happens for a reason that whole plan just kind of worked out the way it did and now I'm like you know I I switched um, careers uh, and partially because, you know, I feel like my calling is maybe something different. You know, yeah, we've my... talked about that. And <clears throat> what I love, too, is that, you know, you have such a passion about the city of Detroit. You're such mm -hmm. an ambassador out there, and you've been a great supporter for me of the Say Nice Things About Detroit. And, oh, yeah. And, and that's that's been really special to me, you know, to have you. <clears throat> we're all ambassadors, right, in the Absolutely. city of Detroit. And let, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, Detroit Red Wings, the, the, the Joe Lewis Arena right downtown, a new arena is going to be be built and how important it is for, I mean, Detroit is a great sports town. It, uh, the media all over the country say that Detroit is a wonderful sports town and the athletes that come here kind of like, oh, Detroit. And then when they get here, they, they love it. And many of them stay at, at when they retire from their careers and yeah. you become friends with so many of the the athletes that, that have played in, in, in uh, our Lions and Basketball, Greg uh, Kessler, or uh, what's Kelsey? Kelsey. I mean, there's so many people that you're yeah. friends with now. And I run I, across these people, and it's like, I mean, I'm like, oh, you know, it's like the people that radiate the same kind of perspective on life that I do, I feel like are attracted to each other. And that's why you and I, I believe, when I met you at Shinola, you know, I'm a huge Shinola fan. I love watches. I, RJ, I love to death. Like, he's just the greatest. And then here you are, like, like the smile of the century. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know who this woman is, but she's amazing. <laughs> like, I just get this great, wonderful energy feeling from you. And um, and you here we are. <laughs> and, and Shinola, let's talk a little bit about the things that we do love about the city of Detroit, because it does give us, you know, energy to be a part of uh, being being a part of everything that is going on in Detroit. Yeah. And, and talk about that. I mean, you know, I Shinola, of course, has been wonderful. Uh, 
you know, they're based in, in, they're all over the country and in the world. They're in London now, and uh, they make fine watches, and the, the, the company is owned by, or started by uh, Tom, what's his last name? Who started Fossil Watches. Mm -hmm. And they've, the, what they've done here in Detroit has been absolutely fantastic. The people they've employed, they're, they're assembling the watches here. They also make high-end bicycles. And, yeah. But what they've done in the community has been fantastic. You know, the dog parks, the room involved with Michigan Humane Society. Everywhere I turn, somebody yeah. has said that Shinola has been supportive of what they're doing. And they're just one of many, many people. You know, many, the, many companies. I think the great thing about Shinola, too, is it's not so much like, I mean, they're like, oh, there are people that say, oh, it's a fad, but it's not truly, because the people behind Shinola, the people that make up Shinola, like Jacques and everybody, the whole staff, like the whole entire company, they're so passionate about Detroit, and you can't deny that. And the great part about it is they weren't all from Detroit. They right. came from Dallas and, like, um, uh, Don Nelson, who is in the Hall of Fame for coaches and was, you know, one of the great coaches in the NBA. He played basketball, but he's from Dallas, Texas, and he's part of the team. Yeah. You know, and he's been here. I've done some interviews with him, and now his his uh, grandkids live in Detroit, you know, and so there's a whole new first generation yeah. of they're having all their people move here. Right. And they've come with such enthusiasm and imagination, and of course you add that to all the people who have already been doing many things in the city of Detroit. Yeah. And Dan Gilbert with his efforts, and you know, our, uh, you know, with R.J. King being the publisher, and you can't discount the influence that those publications have had oh, in yeah. Crane Communications and how they all keep the story out there about what's going. They do, and, and that's what I love about the city is that, you know, there's always going to be, like, naysayers, but the people that, like, truly love the city, um, you know, there's so many people that are just, um, it's like a magnet, and, and magnet not only for, like, um, people, but positivity, you know, and growth and energy, and that's really what life is all about. I mean, like, to be able to grow all together and to be able to, like, rally, I mean, with my whole, like, Miro movement and, you know, people are like, oh, Tara Revan, you know, she's just, like, this, like, girl that has, you know, cancer. But and really, I'm like, that's, an that's another thing. It's so funny, too, because people say, why would you ever want to bring Sam, my donor, to Detroit when he lives in Hawaii? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why not? Well, look at I me. Love I live in Hawaii, yeah. and I love coming to Detroit. And I love I love living in Hawaii. You right. can love wherever, you know, where you are if you love life. And, exactly. And, and right now in Detroit... It, Detroit is almost like a, a person that had challenges, you know, <laughs> and has, has, you know... Had a little started, bit of a cancer started, yeah, case. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then they had a and, and, you know, I, see, I, I sat with um, uh, Neil Rubin yesterday from Detroit News and his wife. Uh, she's real involved with the uh, Cass community. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, there are incredible challenges in Detroit. Yeah. The, and, and the, but people are rising to the challenge and, and helping one another and... And that's what I see. It's just like you took your challenge yeah. and you put it out there to the world and invited people to be part of supporting you and being able to uh, endure, you yeah. know, every day of waiting for a, a, a bone marrow transplant. And really, the people that have stayed in Detroit and stayed living here and stuff, they've, they've endured a lot yeah, they to have. get to this place now where there's yeah. like, wow, our transplant is working. You right, know? exactly. It's almost like exactly. metaphorically there's a lot of that going on. There's every demographic. It's from, I was with a couple of young people today that are with Recovery Park and they're, they're it's gardens and they uh, uh, hiring, you know, they call them um, uh, citizens, uh, re-entering citizens, so people coming out of the prisons oh, and yeah. coming out of uh, rehab centers and, 
And there's so many organizations that are, are employing uh, th those people, that demographic, that it's difficult for them to get jobs. And you know why, though? I mean, there's something to be said about, like, quote, unquote, those kind of people is because that through the struggle and, and um, the darkest dark place, um, come strength, like through weakness comes strength. And so I see that in myself. If I had never have gone through what I did, had those dark areas where I didn't even think I would be alive, um, I would not be the person I am today. And like the strength that I've been able to draw, like be, to have drawn through those um, situations that I had, you know, the last 12 years, you know, it's, it's something that you can't just teach or you can't just tell somebody to be strong. You have to go through those things, and that's when, like, the strength and the endurance um, comes through. And we've got a lot of people in the city of Detroit that have done that. They've hung on to, some, you know, yeah. the worst of times. Yeah. And, you know, I think about, like you saying, uh, you just wanted to, to, to live long enough to see your son graduate. Yeah. You know, and then be able to, to do that. And, and you know, just uh, the same thing here. We see it when we're down in the city all the time. All yeah. the things that are happening that are so positive. Yeah, like even like my friend, like at the Chop House, like the London Chop House, you know, he, Nico and that, that whole family, they've been here in Detroit and, you know, taking that London Chop House, a staple from like before and then bringing it back to life, you know, not just like changing it, but like, you know, bringing that old, you know, that iconic restaurant, iconic which restaurant. is right next door to where Emily's across the street yeah. was for so many <laughs> so years, you, you know, in the whole corner that we, yeah. we had down there. So it, it is nice to see. So uh, once again, uh, to our listening audience, I mean, it's uh, Tara Revan. Revan. Yeah. I'm always saying Revan. And uh, Tara, as we've been saying throughout the show, waited 10 years for a bone marrow transplant when she was diagnosed with leukemia, given a three-year prognosis. And, and and ran bone marrow uh, uh, fundraiser or bone marrow match drives and just always hoping that that match would show up and and over the years the be the match dot com they did come up with some people that could have been a possibility or might have been but had decided they didn't want to go through the process so a lot of false starts in that regard and then getting the transplant and I think it's wonderful that you have now been in touch with Sam you know it would be great to bring him bring him to Detroit but what is so we want to mention that uh, marrowmovement.com uh, to see what Tara has been writing over the years as she's been going through this and it continues to write and of course your Facebook posts are wonderful <laughs> and and then uh, be the match.com real educational thing and yeah. I mean I love what I've learned uh, not just from you, but what I've also done on my own research and, and reading and trying to learn. And I'm happy that I'm, a, as I mentioned, a, a donor yeah. now. When I did it before, it was just my eyes, you know, with my license. And then when I started checking more, I, oh, I can do all my organs. You know, why not? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and really when you think about it, it is amazing. Like you said, that you, what an amazing thing to save someone's life. Absolutely. I mean, I wish I could do the same. I mean, I can't just because of, you know of my health situation, but it's just incredible. It's in in the bone marrow, um, in particular, is it, it's not like you lose it forever. It regen, you know, you you give your stem cells, and it's not like you're without them for forever. You know, your marrow constantly makes it, so it's like you're given this gift that it takes nothing really from you, but you're giving somebody like me, you know, another day with their kid, their son, yeah. and, and to be able to sit here. And, and, and your parents getting another yes. day with their daughter. Right, right? exactly. My mom and dad are like, oh my gosh. The stop. ripple effect. Your yeah. sister, who also was sister. from Korea, and yeah. adopted not the same bloodline, but 
Uh, so it, the impact is, the ripple effect is, is, is huge. Right. And so is there anything that, you know, that you'd like to say to the listeners and stuff? I, I, we've talked a lot, and I'd like to keep continuing this over, you know, over time. Because with each year, you're going to be more, even more and more grateful, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? and, and so some, well, some last thoughts to our listeners here on the Emily T. Gale Show, ESPNHawaii.com. You can also get the free podcast at uh, iTunes under Emily T. Gale Talk Story and, and uh, Facebook. Yeah. But some last thoughts uh, to our listeners, uh, just uh, encouragement to them to be aware that they can save a life. They can save a life, but... Um you know, I was talking to somebody today, one, a close friend of mine, her name is Colleen, and um, I have a, um, a friend of mine named Tim who is, um, you know, he's surviving right now cancer, and he's, he's fighting the good fight. And um, Colleen and I were talking today, and I said, you know, sometimes you got to take yourself, you know, whether you're a cancer patient or somebody watching somebody go through cancer, you know, you are thinking about death and you're, you're thinking about life. But when it comes down to it, it's just about living today. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we get so consumed with, you know, what's going to happen next year? Or am I ever going to, you know, be cured of my cancer? Or will I ever get the job? Or will I ever be married or have kids? All these things, these questions that we just don't even know. But the only thing we can do is just like, ha- it's almost like the serenity prayer, you know? Like, let me accept the things, you know, in my life that I can't change, mm-hmm. you know? And, I am just very blessed to be able to have had first-hand experience and and thinking I was going to die, and now being able to sh- cherish the moments. You know, it's not about the. What, what, there's a saying. It's like not, it's not about the number of breaths you take, but how many moments um, take your breath away. You know, in okay. life kind of thing. It's just the like, old. It's the journey, not yeah, the destination. It's the journey. All of it. It totally and you know that applies journey. to not just people with cancer or with or who are ill, and of course that manifests itself in a ver- very dramatic way. But it's a great lesson for all of us to learn that you know we could get in our car today and it yeah. could happen, get in an accident or or whatever. You know, yeah. heart attack. We I, over the last five the last year, I've had half a dozen acquaintances and friends die of very unusual things, you know, from getting hit by a bicycle, being on their bike and being killed in an accident or in a car accident or just bizarre things. And each one has been a milestone to me, like, hey, wait a minute, you know, kind of of live life like, I get it more and more all the time. Right, be present today and love, you know, share love. Tell people, tell the people that you love, that you love them, (laughs) say it, you know, say it. Like, well, Jay grew up wanting to be a Marine, and uh, he's, a, he's a Marine now, and you're so proud of him, and he's, he's proud to be a Marine. And, yes. and what, what do you uh, get back from him? You know, the, what are you hearing from him? And, you know, and Jay, he's, um, he's in Texas right now, and he's, he's going to be in Intel, and he's, he's doing great, and he's just growing. Um, and what I get, actually, you know what, what I get from him is that we're closer now than ever, than we ever have been. But yeah, he lives. This is the first time he's ever been away from me for uh-huh. an extended period of time. You know, he's in Texas. And, you know, the ability to be able to let go of my son, knowing that he's, you know, I raised him right, and his dad's very much a part of his life. His dad's a great guy, you know, has a family in Hawaii. But, you know, Jay and I are, are so close, and it's like the connections that you have, it's not about like being right in front of me. You know, and having him right here, yeah. you know, love transcends miles and distance and yeah. time and everything. 
very special. No, yeah. it's, it, Tara, yeah, just uh, I'm really glad we got a chance to get together and, and tell the story face to face. Yeah, you know, I wanted to do it when I got to Detroit. So, uh, you know, you you have your, of course, he loves Hawaii too, Jay, right? <laughs> so, Tara and I uh, both say, Aloha. Aloha. Yes.